Welcome back to a brand new episode of Sustainably Influenced with me, Charlotte Williams. And me, Bianca Foley. This season is all about the people behind the product. In a society where everything has become so disposable and waste is one of the biggest problems affecting our society, we wanted to go back to a time where what you owned was treasured. Come with us on a journey this season where we chat with experts who are taking us back to a time where craftsmanship and ethical consumption were key, but making it suitable for today's modern society. Welcome back to another episode of Sustainably Influenced. We are talking about something really different again this week. Why is your face like that? I'm just laughing because I'm like, oh, somebody's probably listening to this thinking, so where's all the fashion speak at? But it ain't here this season. It ain't here. We are talking about blacksmiths and blacksmithing as well as the eco-friendliness of it and how blacksmithing can be good for using waste because essentially I've given you the conclusion before I've even started spoiler alert they're quite thrifty people and they you know, use what they've got so interesting yeah so I've got some you know me I like to build the story and then we'll go into the article and do the thing and the thing so as a rule blacksmithing is or blacksmith art we should say is quite an eco-friendly form of trade I want to say so what is a blacksmith oh Good. Um, oh, good. Uh, good. Good. Glad I'm you asked. glad you asked because <laughs> I was going to completely bypass that. So a blacksmith is a person who makes and repairs things in iron by hand. So blacksmithing is quite an eco-friendly form of art, I want to say, or trade, because it comes from naturally occurring material, for example, iron, and it lasts for a really long time. And I believe items can be remelted down and make something else so oh, fun. The utilization of stuff which we know that i love this is a really random episode because when i think about blacksmiths i think about black beauty horseshoes do you know like that black film beauty. and there's just like Aww. the ding ding ding, ding. <laughs> yeah yeah i totally, totally know what you mean or like that. a knight's tail and they're making swords they're the only blacksmiths you ever really see in it really yeah. is in medieval times yeah <laughs> So where is this going? Okay. Tell me more. We're talking about waste. I think to do with this season, again, we're talking about the people and the things. So blacksmithing fits in really well with that, I think, because it's the idea of people using what they've got. It's starting to become popular again, these old timey jobs where they're utilising things that they've got and using the waste to make new things. And that's what we like. And that's why they're sustainable. But we're not giving it a score just yet. Blacksmiths have always been great recyclers and that is something that's been said by a blacksmith and this is a quote directly from one of the articles that I'm looking at. So this one is from a website called Monash. The article is titled Making Sustainable Materials Through the Ancient Art of Blacksmithing. That's a nice article title. I thought so. So blacksmiths have always been great recyclers, says blacksmith artist Jay Silber. From the very earliest days of the Iron Age, metal was a scarce commodity. By repairing items instead of trashing them, it means that there's less for landfill, less energy spent making new metal. So engineering students at Monash University are investigating sustainable manufacturing processes through like ancient arts and forging, blacksmithing and casting. Launched in 2019, Monash forged experiments with creating new products out of recycled materials and breathing new life into materials otherwise destined 
to be scrapped. One of their teams is working on melting old soft drink cans, so like aluminium cans and other metal pieces, into like this big molten mix and mm. pouring it into moulds and ingots ready to cool, set and reuse for a variety of different purposes. So you use like ingots, you can use it in jewellery making as well, I believe. So, yeah, there's also minimal waste left with blacksmithing. And this is something that I really want to talk about in this episode because I found a really cool article. It's an article that I thought, oh my God, this is going to blow Charlotte's mind. But I'll get into it in just a sec. So the workers use the same forges day after day and their products are reworkable essentially. So anything that they make, they can melt with done and use again. Which to me, I'm just like, yep, use the waste, use what we got. Yeah, that's great. So if you cut a piece of wood that's too short... And you need another piece. But if you cut a piece of metal too short, you can reheat it and lengthen it. So Mm. it's just showing how versatile or how, I guess, good, (laughs) how good the metal is. (laughs) It makes it something that can be used again and again and again. And you don't need much of the raw material to make something. It's pliable, isn't it? Blacksmiths help to recycle materials even more by frequenting scrapyards for more raw materials to make Mm. their creations. So I love that word frequenting. It makes me sound smart. Um, (laughs) And I think that this is something that's done quite a lot. And you see it across design schools and stuff like that, where Mm. everybody will go on like a foraging expedition to local scrap heaps and see what they can find for art school, design school. Even a lot of fashion designers are going to these scrap places or landfills and seeing what they can find to then reuse in their... Trash into treasure. Yeah, using it, but it's like using it to... You're right, trash into treasure. We'll just leave it with that. (laughs) Because I think that that's probably the best way of describing it. So let's get into my article because I'm well excited. (sighs) It is an article from The Guardian and the title is My Customers Like Zero Waste, The Blacksmith Recycling Canisters into Cult Kitchen Knives. I thought you'd like this one. So Tim Wesley is the guy making these incredible knives. And I just think it's a really clever way of utilising something that is actually, I'm going to use another really fantastic word, scourge on our society. (laughs) That's me. It's a scourge on our society. Those bloody canister things that all the youth them are using. (laughs) Oh my God, I hate them. You go to any festival or like... A Friday night in a popular area and it's just full of balloon canisters. Yeah, good old bit of laughing gas. So he's turning these laughing gas canisters into handmade kitchen knives. So for a typical blade, and this is taken directly from the article, a typical 210mm blade, which is, I guess, your standard 21cm knife, I guess that's like a normal kitchen blade, Mm. he uses 10 NOS canisters. Oh, wow. Yeah. In a process, he says, is really hard work but it's worthwhile and he first cuts off the ends of the canisters with an angle grinder and up until now I thought that that was ankle grinder so (laughs) so angle grinder then opens and flattens them with a hammer on an anvil and on average he makes five of these knives per week and a quote that he said is my knives are just as good if not better made with materials found off the street and there's no industrial processes involved so there's zero waste And I love this. I think it's so bloody clever. You Mm. know, I get all geared up when I hear about innovation and stuff. This is it. This is it. Does it say how much they cost? So I'm just looking at their website and the website is clementknives.com. 
And fourth, let me just talk about the one that he was speaking about in the article. That's not available. So the next size down is the 19 centimetre, basically 20 centimetre knife. Yeah. Do you want to hazard a guess? I know that you have... How much is a knife? You've got good experience with like kitchen stuff. Yeah, but I can't remember how much knives Knives, knives, Good knives are really spenny. I think it was like 70 quid. Okay. This is 268 pounds for the biggest one. That's 20 centimetres. The smallest one is 167 millimetres, and that's 233 pounds. Okay, these are spenny. These are spenny, but he only makes five a week. I think it's really, really clever. Yeah. So let's talk a little bit about the history of blacksmithing, because I think that that might help to put some of the stuff that we're going to talk about into context. Mm -hmm. So blacksmiths work by heating pieces of wrought iron or steel until the metal becomes soft enough for shaping with hand tools such as a hammer, an anvil and a chisel. Heating generally takes place in a forge. Oh, fueled by propane, natural gas, coal, charcoal, coke or oil. (laughs) And they're like, coke? I'm like... Coca-Cola? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Um, I need to know what that Coke means. Yeah. That's for another episode, possibly. <laughs> so if you look at that, propane, natural gas, coal, charcoal, oil. oil. Oh, cool. So it could be whatever you want it to be. Yeah, but it's like, if you look at how the process of making a lot of those things are, and like the emissions related to that, because I want to talk about carbon emissions mm. and how you then create something. Oh, oil, not like olive oil. But no, like no, no. It'll be crude oil. Okay. Yeah. Well, it, or would it be? I have no idea. I don't know where we're. I don't know where we are. <laughs> the perfect temperature, if you're going to make something, is 760 degrees centigrade. Fuck you, no. I was like, can I swear on this podcast? Wait, it's mine. It's fine. Yes, 760 degrees. <laughs> wow, That's wild to make something to heat the metal to a point where you'll be able to hit it and reshape it into something else. But yeah, I just think. The carbon emissions, because if you're heating coal for a really, really long time, Mm. it's making me think back to pre-war days where there was smog and all the emissions that came off of how they were burning the fuels to then make the things like the Industrial Revolution and that. You know me, I always end up going to history for some reason. (laughs) Why am I like this? No, but that's why when you were saying blacksmith, I was like, this is crazy because I can't imagine a modern blacksmith. I just think of the sword and the stone and... (laughs) Putting horseshoes on horses. I was laughing at the fact that you said black beauty. Ding, ding, ding. Because everybody knows what that is. But there must be something associated with it. But in most of the articles that I've looked at, I can't seem to find any stats that back that up. So what's interesting is, this sounds horrible, but I don't mean it to be. This isn't a very interesting topic for a lot of people. Yeah. So the fact that we're covering it is a bit random. So there's obviously not a lot of information out there because no one... Yeah, it's something that I feel like we would have to really go in and do like a proper deep dive into yeah. to find anything out because it's not readily available info. It's, as you said, it's not that it's not an interesting topic. It's not something that people think about. I think, yeah. And that's what it is. In terms of like modern stuff. But that's why it's really important that we speak to our guests because yeah. they are the gatekeepers of this information. So now we're going to speak to a guest. I'm not going to lie. It was really difficult to find a guest for this episode. Yeah. I can imagine. Yeah. But we're very lucky to be recording with Content is Queen and we're part of Makerversity. So they've actually got us somebody from Makerversity who is a blacksmith. So let's get into that. So Callum, thank you so much for joining me. Could you tell us a little bit about Mill Deal Workshop, what it is that you do exactly? So at Mill Deal, we've got... Um, 
you know, quite a large workshop where we've got a massive metalworking section where we can do, you know, fabrication, hot metal work. So we have power hammers and presses and we also have a machining kind of area. So we've got lathes and mills so we can turn stuff that's more precise and not just blacksmithing hot works. And also, you know, tons of welders and saws and things to cut everything down for general fabrication kind of stuff. We also have a big joinery shop where we can do traditional woodwork and we have a huge oversized CNC machine so we can sort of bring all of that traditional joinery stuff into the modern age so we can cut things with computer-aided technology. And um, We do a range of jobs. We started off doing architectural metalwork, gates and railings and staircases and spindles and things like that. And we've moved and we do a big range of stuff now. So we work quite a lot with artists. So they kind of come with like a vision of what they're trying to create. And then we work with them to create that kind of sculpture. We've got sculptures over in Madrid. And there was another show in London a couple of weeks ago. And they kind of kind of do that quite regularly, as well as working with like curators and creating exhibitions and stuff. So where it's mixed media, when we do things where it's out of metal and timber. So the next one that's coming up, we're doing for the opening of craft week it's the queen of malaysia's like pet project called tenon which is where she trains all of her weirdly trains all the prisoners <laughs> to uh, be master weavers and it's like a traditional malaysian weaving that the queen's really into and she's trying to bring back so we're building that whole show which is all based upon the like the traditional looms that they used so we're doing all of that woodwork and also we did the first one last year and then this year there's going to be loads of the traditional silversmithing they do so we're going to be doing loads of like metal work inspired by the silversmithing of malaysia for this opening show and kind of weird loads of variation in the jobs we do that's amazing like the amount of different things that you're doing within the industry and it's so much bigger than i think any of us in our day-to-day ever think about it's not something that you would ever necessarily go think wow, this was done by metal workers or it's made by Mill Deal Workshop, unless it's something that you're exposed to. So this is why we do episodes like this, because I think it opens up our listeners' mindset and viewpoint to so many more different things. I trained quite traditionally doing the oldie kind of blacksmithing stuff. And, and I think that's really appropriate. There's lots of people sort of outside of London doing that. But in London, it just wasn't really viable amount of time you needed to spend doing traditional blacksmithing techniques here and the cost of rent meant that it was just we had to sort of change tact because it's too expensive to do that stuff with London rents (laughs) you can't spend enough time to do it properly I can imagine rents for any sort of commercial space office space it's all just astronomical so believe me I totally get it going back to what we were saying before so just in your line of work I know when we were offline we were talking about what this podcast is about and what this season is about more specifically. And one of the things that we've seen is an uptick in these sort of more traditional or craft-led jobs as a result of the pandemic. And did you see an uptake in the number of people taking up metalworking? I think there were like quite a few. So like we make knives and stuff like that, mostly for a hobby, but there was definitely an uptick in that smaller side of things and people trying to get their hands dirty and get their hands working and making stuff and um yeah I guess you know we were quite closed off during the pandemic we were all working in the workshop but in terms of like the stuff we were doing for fun making like knifey kind of stuff there seems to be tons of interest in that and that seems to have really exploded over the past few years I mean probably thanks to Blenheim Forge over in Peckham who've just absolutely killed it and then there's tons of other really talented people doing stuff like that 
all over London. Like we were talking about Clement Knives earlier. Clement Knives, who's just moved up to Scotland from London, who does loads of the cladding for his Samai knives out of recycled NOS canisters that he collects from the streets. And then all of the handles are made out of recycled plastics, like PET plastics that he melts down. And they're absolutely gorgeous. I think there's a huge ton. And and I guess Alex Steele, who's like a YouTube blacksmithing sensation from when he was a kid, that's kind of blown the, that side of the craft up quite a lot. So there's definitely been a bit of interest in that bit that's exploded over the past few years. I find it really fascinating. I really do. I just have this thing where so many of us are exposed to, I guess, what you would call the general media, the status quo of kind of like jobs, trades, things that you go into. And then you hear so many young people going into things like butchery, going into woodworking, goldsmithing, and now metalwork. And I just think it's phenomenal because not everybody can be on the internet and not every, not everybody can do this for a job yeah, so right. it's it's people using their hands and doing something being creative yeah i mean there's really linked if you look people would traditionally do sort of apprenticeships in one of those things in in carpentry or blacksmithing but now people are doing product design degrees and stuff like that and that and that's actually really linked and, you know loads of the people we have working for us did product design degrees and then found that instead of the design kind of thing they get more into the hands-on making and lots of people doing art degrees end up with tons of skills the same as they'd have if they'd have done a traditional apprenticeship so I think the people are still out there making stuff it's just they're not getting there in the same route that they did traditionally and maybe probably having a bit more varied skills and I guess the skill set you need for doing these traditional things nowadays you do need more of a digital skill set and you need to be able to model stuff in 3D and you need to be able to market yourself and stuff it's not really the same but it moves that's really true I think it's happening across the board isn't it so many people are getting to the same point but everybody's taking a different route to get there and it doesn't really matter as long as you're doing something that makes you happy I think people are thinking now I just want to know in terms of like the environmental impact of blacksmithing can you tell me a little bit about that I mean there's a few things traditionally hot work blacksmithing is on a coke forge which is coal or like train coal but it's called coke when you use it back something because it's just like more intense anyway but we're in london so we can't really use that kind of fuel because it just is too dusty and too many emissions so we use gas forges for all of our hot work which is a lot less polluty and also we use induction forges which are sort of like supercharged magnetic coils it's water that gets pushed through a coil and a magnetic current through it and that sort of heats up your metal electronically so no fire involved and that well i mean electricity prices are going through the roof we're still burning gas to get the electricity but it means there's no emissions and we kind of are trying to move to that for our forging also i think one of the big things sustainability wise is when we're making stuff architecturally or or furniture or stuff like that we're making stuff that we're giving lifetime guarantees to so we're making stuff that we imagine would last two or three hundred years. And, you know, if we're normally if we're replacing a staircase or we're replacing a handrail in a house, an old house, it's the type of metalwork we're trying to produce is stuff that would last for over a hundred years. So I think sustainability wise, that's what we're aiming at. Also, steel is very recyclable. I mean, everyone knows about scrap men that come around to take all of the scrap metal and, and the old iron and stuff like it's got a really really good cycle of recycling probably 60 or 70 percent is reused so any of the steel we buy is all milled rolled down from reused steel that's probably been going through that process for 100 years or something so it is 
although it is like very energy intensive and it's not like not environmentally impactful it's not a plastic and it's not getting thrown away it's always getting recycled i think it leans into the i think the core message with sustainability where is make good stuff keep it for a really long time that's the basics and it kind of just leans straight into that yes there's always going to be some form of impact and i do think that especially brands like furniture brands they leaning into this not greenwashing but they're saying things like oh well we don't use anything there's no emissions with our product or this sofa's made using xyz and i think there's always going to be some sort of impact or emission associated with yeah. it but if you're making larger ticket more skilled led product normally they're made with the idea that you're going to keep them for a really really long time so that's what's fantastic yeah. and i think that that in itself is a more sustainable way of consuming it's definitely more sustainable and it's funny that it kind of you know a lot of the like crafty made pieces of furniture timber and metal work wise just the, the problem is that they might last for 200 years but then the price range you push them out of the price range of quite a lot of regular folks so as it becomes rarer and everything gets like made so fast and so quickly and you can go to ikea and buy a thing that's only and you know you're moving flat every year or something but each one of those pieces of ikea furniture you buy goes in the bin after every time you move flat so it really depresses me every time i buy something from ikea that it's like i know that even if i move rooms with it it's just going to probably go in the bin whereas you could spend three times the amount you spend on the thing in ikea and it would last your entire life it's a lovely idealistic viewpoint and it's something that we always talk about. We actually did an episode, uh, I think last season, on fast interiors because there has been yeah. an increase in the amount of people treating their furniture purchases like a fashion or beauty purchase. And I just think to myself, A, who has the time? B, who has the money? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, there's the, yeah, I think it's like the rise of dropshipping and the rise of cheap interior yeah. stuff. Yeah, definitely. Moving on to our last question. So how can more blacksmiths utilize circular practices in their craft? And I mean, we've spoken about Clements knives who take old NOS canisters and turn them into these incredible knives. And I believe he works with like samurai swords and things like that as well. But how can yeah. more, more people in your industry utilize what's already in existence to make new things? I mean, there's loads of ways. It depends on the scale that you're making stuff. So lots of traditional kind of blacksmiths these days are still making sort of standalone things, hangers and little nice household things on Etsy. And I think in that sense, it's much easier to reuse found items and smaller pieces of metal because, you, you know, like any piece of steel can be heated up and hammered into any shape. So if you're making some smaller kind of items like that, I think it's super easy. In terms of our practice, we make lots of tooling to make different shapes and we use lots of recycled metal to do that. So when we're making tooling for our hydraulic presses or for the power hammers, we use old tines from forklifts. And if we're making different tools to shape things underneath the power hammer, we use old hammers that we buy at the jumble sale to then heat them up and make them into different shapes to then make them do the thing that we want them to do. So as we're doing structural work or things that we need to start with something fresh and new so we can create that shape the way we're creating tools we're using to create those shapes we're always trying to use things that we found or think sensibly about how to create those things without creating more waste and on that note i will say thank you so so much for joining me well thanks for having me it was really fun oh. 
So that was really interesting. I feel like I've learned a lot. Yeah. I'm completely out of my depth, I can't lie. I'm glad we had a guest on this one because I didn't know anything about blacksmiths until now. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a really out of... Comfort zone. Yeah, we're both really out of our comfort zone 100%. with this one. It was, I think it would have been like who drew the short straw when we were just deciding subjects yeah. and be like, I'll take that one. Ah, damn, it's really hard. <laughs> yeah, I didn't think when we were divvying up the episodes, I didn't think this one was going to be difficult. Yeah, it's been really, really yeah, difficult. Um, no, it's fine. I mean, <laughs> I like the challenge. I can't lie. But I feel like I've learned a lot doing the research for this as well. Because as you said in the beginning, like, what does a blacksmith do? Yeah. Mm. It's not something that we are exposed to, really. So for me, I'm I'm super happy to have done this one. So let's get into the Sustainably Influenced Sustainability Score. <laughs> I think that we should rate this based on the zero waste aspect mm. and the fact that with blacksmithing, you can utilise whatever's already made, really. Mm. I love the scrap metal situation, yeah. picking it up from wherever, anywhere and everywhere, turning into something cool. I'm into it. Yeah. Numbers. Well, okay, I'm going to go. Your face is too excited, so I feel like you're going to go really high. I am. I'm going to go to a... Take into consideration carbon emissions. Yeah, yeah. I know. That's why I'm yeah, yeah. pausing. I'm going to go for an eight. Okay, cool. I think similar, if I'm honest with you. Because the utilisation of existing materials, so mm -hmm. you don't have to go and get raw material, but it's the heat component and the environmental impact yeah. that irks me ever so slightly. But you've got to make stuff yeah, and things have got to be done. So I'm going to say seven. Ooh. Yeah. I feel like seven's been my sweet spot for most of this season. <laughs> okay, fine. But I'm going to sit with an eight. So 7.5. Yeah, overall. Average, yeah. Yeah, I think that's fair. Nice. I think that's a fair one for it. But yeah, I think that's pretty much it for this episode. Hope you enjoyed it and learned something new and random today. Yeah, I'd be really interested to know from our audience, actually. A, are there any blacksmiths out there or do you know any blacksmiths? B, did you actually find this interesting? <laughs> <laughs> because it may be interesting to me because I'm the one doing the research, but I want to know if you've got to the end of this episode. So yeah, that's where I'll if you did and you enjoyed it, tell us if you did and you didn't tell <laughs> us if you want us to go back to talking about fashion, we will. Yeah, we're trying to broaden our own horizons as much as yours. So, yeah, we're here for all, all feedback is positive feedback. Thanks. So we'll speak to you guys later. Ciao for now. Bye. Peace out. Sustainably Influenced is hosted by Bianca Foley and me, Charlotte Williams. This season was produced by Content is Queen, sound edited by Amber Miller. And a big thanks to our researcher, Anna Stoney. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to your podcasts.